Praise God, brothers and sisters. Let us all keep standing. Uh, we're going to have the Bible reading right now. Uh, Rebecca is going to be uh, reading. She'll let you know. So take out your Bibles, and we're going to have the Bible reading right now. If you guys have the Bible app on your phones, take it all out. I would recommend. Um, so we're going to be reading First uh, John chapter 4, and I'll be reading the King James Version. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world, hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is cometh in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us, he that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfect in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Amen. Praise God, brothers and sisters. So, a couple months ago, Bogdan comes up to me and he says, Andre, you're going to be preaching tonight. A couple months later, here I am, Tuesday night, August the 7th, saying my first sermon. So, pray for me and pray for me. So, we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 1 through 3. So, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up. 
Therefore, since we, have, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So tonight I'm going to be speaking on uh, endurance and fighting the good fight. Uh, I have a little story to tell. So uh, last week I went on a little hike. Uh, I don't know what you guys consider little, but my hike was 15 miles long. And um, 15 miles is, is nothing to shake a stick at. Um, every ounce of my energy was being devoted to that hike because we thought it was going to be, you know, just a small little hike. We're going to go a little bit. We're going to walk a little bit, you know. But we decided we're going to go down this cliff, we're going to cross a river, we're going to go along this river for another 10 miles and hike back up to the trailhead, and we're like, this is going to be nothing, you know? So here we are, last two and a half miles, we're climbing, and we are just, we are dying, all, like, six or seven of us, we were all dying, you know, we, we like to consider ourselves experienced hikers, but at that moment, you could have thought we were, like, amateurs, people were laughing at us, old men. So, my point is, Endurance is a big thing in our, in our life, you know. No matter what we're doing, endurance, endurance has, has a place in each one of our lives. And it's interesting that the author of Hebrews uses the metaphor of a long-distance race to illustrate the Christian life. So when we look at verse 1, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So I don't know if any of you guys have ran before, but running is, is uh, even if you do it for long distances or even short distances, you know the feeling. Like your, your lungs start, you know, uh, you run out of air, your, your side starts hurting, cramping up, your legs start cramping up, you get those little shin splinters or whatever they're called, and it's just a struggle, you know? And here the author is saying, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the Christian life is supposed to be like a struggle. We're str- this is a struggle. It's not... It's not, here we are, we're victorious, and we're just going to conquer and ride out into the sunset. It's a struggle, and it's not meant to be easy. So when he says that we are to, to run with endurance the race before us, he's telling us that we're to run, but we're not, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a struggle. And that brings me to the second part of the verse, which says, well, it's per- first part of the first verse, so which says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Uh, so I came up with a little example to help you guys understand this better. So suppose you're training for a, uh, a marathon, right, or a race or anything that requires physical strength. And you, uh, you start training, you know, you have those little ankle, ankle um, weights so you can make it easier on your, well, harder on yourself. So when the race rolls along, you can take them off and be like, wow, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so great at this race. So you do this every day. You put the weights on, you know, you consistently increase the weights. You start off, you know, with five pounds and you put 10 pounds on and then you keep on training and training and training until the day of the race. And, you know, you can get used to it. You can get used to it. You, you won't even feel the weights. So... The day of the race rolls along, and you're like, hey, coach, I got this. We're going we're gonna, to you know, blow this out of the ball, ballpark, and you're still with your weights on. And you say, coach, I'm ready to race, but you're still with your weights on. 
on your ankles. And the coach says, hey, your weights are still on. And you say, you know what? No, it's okay. I'm used to them. I can't even feel them. And guess what? I'm going to beat everybody because, you know what? I can't even feel those weights. And the same in our everyday lives. You know, we have, we have our own little sins. We have our own little things that we struggle with. And those are the weights that hold us down from the race that is before us. And uh, the Bible teaches us to lay down every encumbrance or every, every sin that clings so closely to us so that we can uh, run the race that is set before us. So he's telling us, take off those weights, take off those things that hinder you from running the race before us. And it's a big thing because for us, we're all young here, we all have our own, you know, we, might, we may think it's not a big deal, but in, in reality it is a big deal and it is a weight that keeps us from running to our full potential. So that could be even things like Bogdan. He said uh, right before uh, the prayer, he said, you know what, let's put aside like, you know, worldly things, you know, like small things, like worldly music, worldly, you know, pleasures, uh, like internet, you know, like Instagram. You could be spending so much time on these social media websites and they could just be a hindrance to you to, uh, to be your full potential in running a race, the Christian race. So this leads me to the, my third point, which is fix your eyes upon Jesus. So Verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So we have to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Um, we, can't, we can't look at other you know, influential leaders. We can't look at our friends. You know, Our parents are great examples for us, but even our parents can... Can, is, isn't going to take the place of Jesus because in, like, in the long run, uh, Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to run a Christian race. We know Jesus endured a lot in his life. And uh, Isaiah 53.7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so did, he did not open his mouth. So we look at what Jesus endured throughout his life. He endured, you know, 40 days in the wilderness, tempted by Satan. His followers didn't understand him. His own disciples didn't understand him, you know. And even his own followers left him and betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. You know, Jesus had to endure all of these things. Even in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, Jesus said, you know, Father, let your will be done, not my will be done. And as he was like uh, bleeding drops of blood, he had to endure that because that was painful for him. But he was enduring it. And, you know, we all know the outcome of, of what happened. You know, he carried the cross to Calvary. You know, on the Via Dolorosa, he carried the cross. And he, he kept on enduring. And that teaches us what it means to run the Christian race. And when he says, looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, he knew that there was a prize at the end. This wasn't just a race, you know, like, oh, you're going to be done, and then you die, and then this is it. There was a prize at the end of the race. And he knew that there was a joy at the end, and that uh, if he kept on fighting, kept on enduring, he kept on enduring the cross, he would eventually get to the, to the, the goal, I mean, the, um, the, the, joy, the joy at the end of the race, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So he knew that in the end, it will all pay off. It will all pay off. So our daily lives, our daily struggles, if we keep on enduring, if we keep on uh, you know, racing and, and just... Um, uh, fighting the good fight, it, it'll ultimately pay off in the end. And it's not just because, 
you know, we want to get to heaven or something. It's because, you know, he loves us. And what, he, what he endured for us, we should love him just because of that, you know, just because he, he endured so much for us. We should run the good fight and keep our eyes on him. So my, my conclusion for today is, um, I'll just go ahead and read this three verses again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, and who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And I'll even include, or is that, that is verse 3, look at that. So, verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So, this, this final verse, it teaches us, you know, if we keep our eyes upon Jesus, we see the perfect example of what it means to run a race and to endure. And if Jesus, you know, endured hostility against himself from sinners, we can endure that. We can endure that hostility. We can endure these daily struggles that come upon us. And we can look upon the, that example and say, you know what, we're not going to grow weary or faint-hearted. We're going to keep on pressing towards, towards the goal. And um, so my, my, um, my, my conclusion is don't, don't stop fighting, you know. Every day is a struggle. We all know this, you know, like school and work and, you know, having time to, with our friends and stuff. It's all a struggle, you know. And if we keep on fighting, if we keep on looking to Jesus, the... the um, the founder and perfecter of our faith, we will ultimately end up in heaven where we all strive to be. So let's get on our knees and pray and just ask God to give us the strength to, you know, endure this race and just keep on fighting. Amen. Praise God. Uh, before I get into my poem, I wanted to share a little testimony about how I wrote it. To be honest with you guys, I wrote this um, I wrote this, I mean, obviously, I was going through a really hard time, but there was this point in my life where I was going through, like, a really dry season, and instead of going to God, I just decided to kind of run from Him, because every time I kept coming to Him in prayer and in fellowship, I felt like all I was doing was crying and feeling bad for myself, so I tried to just kind of, instead of coming before Him and telling Him everything that was on my mind, everything on my heart that I was feeling, I felt like God was getting bored of me and all my struggles and all my troubles. And like, Dasha, why, why are you in the same place again? Why are you coming to me again with these problems? Like, when are you going to finally be strong and get up? And so instead of coming to him, I started just going to other things, going to music, going to movies, going to anything that would distract me from my problems. And so there was one point where uh, we were remodeling our whole house and everything was really stressful. And... I'm sitting in my room and it's like one in the morning and I'm just kind of sitting there and I'm having like an anxiety attack and I'm super nervous and I don't know what to do and I start thinking about all the things that are going wrong in my life right now and I'm like, I don't know what to do right now and it's like, God, I have to come to you. I can't run to you. Like, I know there's nobody else I can go to. There's nobody else that can fix me right now. So I'm coming before him in prayer and I'm like, 
everyone in my house is asleep, and I'm like downstairs just pacing around the kitchen, around the living room, just like freaking out and, and telling him everything that's on my heart. I'm like, this is going wrong, this is going wrong, and I don't know why it's going wrong, and I'm just so upset, and I'm just like bawling my eyes before him until finally I can't even pace around anymore. I'm just on my knees crying and crying, and I can't even say words anymore. And I'm coming before him, and I expect God to kind of just shun me and, and tell me, like, Dasha, again, why? Come on. Like, I gave you my word. Like, I'm always with you. Really, Dasha? And he just comes over me with such a wave of love where I'm just, like, not bawling out of fear or anxiety anymore. I'm bawling because God has showed me so much love again. Again, I come before him. Again, I'm going through the same exact problems, and all he does is just overflow me with love. And he's like, Dasha, but don't you know that I love you? It's okay, I love you. It's okay, I love you. And I feel like we say that phrase a lot to people just like walking by and you're just like, hey, Jesus loves you. And they don't understand like the deepness of that statement. Jesus loves you. And from that point, I was praying and I was crying. And I was like, wow, Jesus does love me. And it's like every problem that I'm going to have from from then forth, because life isn't perfect, and we're going to have even more troubles and trials. But I know it doesn't matter because God loves me. No matter how many times I fail, no matter how many times I'm on that same place again crying out to God, I know that he loves me. And I wanted to read from a verse. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 10. Or not verse 10, chapter 30, verse 6. It says, Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Here David went off. Uh, I don't know what he was doing. He was looking for something. And at his camp, there came a raid, and they stole all his sons and daughters and everybody else's sons and daughters and their wives. And everyone was just crying and stressed out. And they were so mad at David, they wanted to stone him. And David, instead of running away like I did, he came straight to God. He didn't go to anybody else. He didn't let anybody else's words bring him down. He just went to God, and he let the Lord strengthen him. And that's what I want to encourage you guys to do through this poem, that no matter how many times you fail, no matter how many times you're in the same position again, come to Jesus. I'm not going to pretend I haven't been in the same position a million times. I have fallen on my knees countless times from my crimes. And so I tried to run from you. I tried ignoring your presence because the guilt was making me feel unworthy and unpleasant. Like I'm out of place before you. I'm not right with you, I know it. I feel like I have bored you with my too many troubles. I feel like every time you look at me, I'm weeping of sorrow. And you're wondering when I will have my own strength and will stop having to borrow. I didn't want to look at heaven's eyes. I don't want to deal with opening up with my lies. I can't stand your justice. I feel like you are by me disgusted because I can't own up to your holiness and perfection. So I turn the other way from your face and run back to my useless state of helplessness. Instead of falling into your grace, I choose a life suppressing my fate. I'm not going to ignore the fact that I've fallen on my knees again. I can't deny the fact that I've tried to run from you again, that I tried desperately to hide from you because I didn't see a path from wickedness clearing to truth. I was blinded. I didn't see a way out. I have now grown used to it. I am still like me, like a youth, 
still stuck in the same cycle, still fighting the same battles, facing the same rivals. I can't get out of this unbeatable constant trial, but I'm in denial. Though I'm in need of you and I'm in need of revival, this game of survival is just getting old and I'm only getting worse. I'm about to fold. The sin of yesterday, today, and tomorrow rests heavily on my heart. Where do I start if I know I will never be able to restart? I've grown too far apart from you. And even though I'm the one falling apart, I choose to depart from you. From the only one able to save me. How many times will I relearn the same lesson? I can't change me. I can't save me. People will not be able to help me. I don't hold the power to bring me up from the dust. I can't rely on their trust, for they have failed me, and I have failed thee again and again, over and over. I'm not getting any closer, moreover, only farther, until I couldn't bear the burden any farther. I'm going back from where I departed, stuck in the ring of my regrets and their hurling abuse. No more excuses. Own up again. You lose. And I know I should have done better. I know I should have tried harder, should have been stronger. But I now realize that I don't have the strength, the willpower, or zealousness. I am never enough. I give up. So again, you walk over to me. Again, you comfort me and remind me that you made that step toward me first. Though I am the one who ran away when you called me to stay. Before I ever acknowledged you, and even when I rejected you, again you make the first move, that very first move to go to the cross, to surrender your life so that I could have life. You gave up your crown just so I could be free from these chains weighing me down. This position I recognize I've been in so many times, yet your love amazes, amazes me again every time. It's something new. It goes deeper than I can comprehend. The height, the depth, and the breadth, it's unthinkable, it's unattainable. The truth of your love for me breaks me free from captivity. The wonder of your kindness, generosity, and mercy, it still fathoms me every time I fall. I don't want to know any other name except the name that you gave me. I will forever be called your daughter, and you don't reject me. Nothing affects it. Your unending and undying love for me. Let me never comprehend it. I don't ever want to fully understand it because every time it gets to me, it strikes me right at my core. My bones shake in amazement. My mind quivers in astonishment. My heart surrenders to your simplicity that you love me. You don't run away when it gets hard. You don't leave me when I can get broken and scarred. You are not afraid of me. You don't get tired of me. That's the kind of devotion you have for me. Truly, you say you will never leave me or forsake me. So they continue to remind me of my past. So what? I have grown past that. I will stay unbothered because I have an assurance and a confidence. You take me out of the pit that was bottomless. You saved me from ransom. You give me all of the chances. I don't care what they discover and throw at my face. Let them utter negativity and chant their adversity. I can't hear their abuse over this truth. I can't see their disappointed faces lined with disapproval because for me, a man of priestly robes traded me for my dirty clothes. I know I am approved. I know who I am in Christ. Whatever they throw, I know what a price was paid for my redemption. 
From my confession, from my surrender, I was strengthened. Brought from suspension, from rejection into a life that now has direction. Tell me who else could have done so? Because the highest chose to take me, the lowest of lows into consideration, traded places with my guilt, and has resurrected it with new hope, gave new life through the shedding of blood, all in the name of love. So don't get it twisted. Don't change the story. Don't try and feed me lies, trying to make me blind. He was a martyr. He was led to the slaughter, a redemption for many. I will not be fooled by the enemy. For me, it is not curtains closed, but it was torn in two. So I will not sit in the shadows when God tells me to go. I will not cower in darkness when he has already raised me up from the ashes. I will not seek more confirmation, for his love is my affirmation. The seal of this new covenant does not expire or repeal. It was done. It is set in stone. It was certified when he was crucified. Glorified and dignified he has made me. No matter how many times man denies me. He was made a contender. He was a descender from heaven to earth. Brought me out of the dirt. And I will run to no other. I will listen to no other. For you are truth when they speak lies. When they sentence to me death, you give me life. So what else do I need? For your love is indeed. Praise God. Praise God, brothers and sisters. Um, I wanted to talk today about reading the Bible. Um, this is my favorite topic because I just love to read the Bible. Um, but before I go there, I wanted to mention a verse that I've been thinking about lately. And it's written in Acts chapter 9. It's just kind of a side note. 931. It says that, And the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied or they were growing. And I've been thinking about this verse lately that the churches, like every single church, I guess, that exists today or ever, what they think, what they think about or what they desire is just growth. Is to have their member, or let's say the amount of members in their church to grow. I guess that's the goal of a church. But uh, a lot of people find different ways to, I guess, grow in number as a church. Some people, like, change the lights or change, the, like, atmosphere of the ch church or they change the uh, music or they do this and that in order to grow the church in numbers. But it says that this church was growing because they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And if we want our church to grow, if we want uh, growth in this youth, then the most important thing is that we walk in the fear of the Lord and that that's the only thing we cater to is just the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And when we have that, then there's growth. And like, it's amazing that without this, the church couldn't grow. The church couldn't get to where it is now. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit comforting us through the hard times, if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit comforting us through the persecution, then we wouldn't be able to withstand. And if it wasn't for us walking in the fear of God, 
God would completely dismember our church because he wouldn't be pleased with any church that doesn't walk in fear of him. Um, and I've been, I've been learning lately to just walking in the fear of God and I found myself just at prayer last Friday and it's, it's interesting, it's not even because uh, it's like part of my plan or schedule, but I found myself that I needed to go to prayer. And then I found myself coming to prayer on Monday, this Monday. And I, I've, I've this whole time been wondering just like, why, why does it feel like the spiritual battle is just intensifying? Why does it feel like it's so tough or difficult at times to just follow after Jesus? And I've been like pondering this lately. And the, at the prayer, uh, the brother kind of spoke to this. He said that we're living in the end times. And it's a simple answer that the fact that we're living in the end times means that the battle is intensifying, that it's becoming more and more difficult to follow Jesus. It's becoming more and more difficult to follow after God. You know, being a Christian now is a lot more difficult than it was in the 1800s, and then it was a lot more difficult than it was in the 1200s. Every single, every single, the more later, the later you go, the more difficult it becomes, because the Bible says that in the end times there will be perilous times, there will be dangerous times, and it says that people will become lovers of themselves, they will become uh, boastful, proud, all these things, and it becomes difficult to live in a culture or in a world that is falling apart, that is decaying, that is going astray. But God calls us to be faithful even now, even in this time, even in this culture, and even in 2018. And God has given us uh, certain things to help us to, as Brother Andre was talking, to endure, to be able to run this race that is completely set against us, to run this race with endurance that, like you said, if, if it was so simple, there wouldn't be a need for endurance. But the fact that the Bible says that we have need of endurance means that it's difficult. And there, there's certain things God has given us to be able to run or live the Christian life. And uh, I'm remembering a testimony of a brother. He's, he was talking about a woman of God who came to a certain church, and there they had an altar call, and a girl ran, uh, came up to the altar call, and she said, I'm struggling spiritually, she told this woman of God. She said, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. She's like, can you help me? And she said, you're not praying, and you're not reading the Bible. And she didn't have to explain a lot to her, but she knew the simplicity of what she needed. She knew exactly what this girl needed was to pray and to read the Bible. And I know that our whole lives we've been told this and we know this, that we should pray and we should read the Bible. But this is, this is exactly what God has given us. This is exactly what God has given us to be able to uh, live this Christian life and to... Um, to, as, as in this scenario, to not struggle spiritually. And I wanted to just focus on one of these aspects, is, is to read the Bible. Something God has given us, which is his word. And if you have your Bibles, uh, go to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This is a familiar verse, 
but I wanted to read it. It says, the book, This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. And God says here that if we want to be prosperous, if we want to have good success, then we have to stay in his word. We have to read his law. And without this, we can't go far. And I, I wanted to just bring, and I, I wanted to just go one more place. This is Psalms 1. Again, I'm sure we're pretty familiar with it. But it's always just a good reminder. It says that, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters that brings forth its fruit in its seasons, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. And I like the picture that it paints here, that he says that uh, the, the blessed, blessed is the man, he is not with the group, not with the crowd of the ungodly, but it almost seems as though he's painting this person as they're by themselves studying the word of God. And I guess seeking God or studying God's word, it can be a lonely place. Uh, maybe sometimes we want to go out uh, all the time to, I guess, have a good time or party. But he says that the, the, the man that is blessed, that shall prosper, is the person who dedicates himself to reading God's word, who... Uh, to seeking his face, uh, not just for the sake of, not, not, be, not being with the ungodly, not going with the crowd, but seeking his face. And I just wanted to talk about basic things that, I've, that helped me personally to read the Bible, to enjoy reading the Bible. And it's kind of, the first one is more of a physical or kind of, kind of silly, I guess, uh, note. But the first thing, if we want, if we want to um, grow in reading the Bible, is personalize your Bible. And that what that means is get a Bible that fits you, that fits your personality. And for me, what that meant is, for example, if you're a guy, don't have a pink Bible. You probably it's probably not a good idea. Uh, or like, find a Bible that just fits you. Um, I've heard a lot of examples. I've heard this kind of, I don't understand this. My friend, he said that he was reading Russian even though he didn't understand Russian because his mom said, you have to read the Bible in Russian. And because of that, he wasn't growing spiritually. And that, that really confused me because I said, like, it doesn't matter what language you're reading the Bible. It's all about your spiritual growth. If it's not causing you to grow, what's the point of reading it? And so find, find a, a language that fits you more. I mean, I started reading the Bible in Russian, but it would have probably been better for me to start reading it in English. I probably would have gotten more out of it. Another thing is just get, uh, one thing that helped me is just also get a Bible that just fits you in size. Don't carry around a big Bible or just like a really small Bible. Again, just personalize it. Uh, and go, go, if you want to go extreme, just get a, what I did was I put my name on it. And for me, that just makes it so personal, and I don't ever want to get away from my Bible. And it's kind of like, and I love talking to people who, and they say like, you know, like, 
this Bible is like falling apart. It's, it, I've written in it so much, it's falling apart, but I just don't want to throw it away. I don't want to get rid of it. That's like, that's exactly what you want. That's exactly the place that, the, the, what I'm trying to get across, that you want to have that mentality, like, I don't want to leave my Bible. I don't want to depart from it. I want to consistently be in it, and I consistently want to read it. Just have, if something, if it's just physical, like a physical labor, uh, barrier that keeps you from reading God's word, get rid of it. If it's a language that you don't understand, change the language. If it's like, if it's just not your Bible, just get a, get a Bible, a translation that is easy for you. If it's the King James Version and with all the these and thous and it's difficult for you to understand it, to read it, then get a Bible translation that fits you, that is easy for you to understand. Because it's not about doing what the, the status quo, it's about are you growing spiritually? What's good for you to grow spiritually? And the second thing that I found useful for me to reading God's word is just to get comfortable. And this may see, be different things for different people, but for me, a lot of times I get away from home and I'll, I'll go to a coffee shop where I'll go to the park to just read the Bible where I, can get, where I can get more personal or more focused on God. And a lot of times people thought this kind of, when people saw me reading the Bible, they thought, they thought it was kind of weird, but I always listen to music when I read the Bible. I don't know why, but it somehow it ministers to me. It, it, oh, I don't know, it opens the Bible in a different way to me, in a different light to me. And it, it helps me focus a lot better. And kind of what I'm saying is just like, just do what, like, go the extra mile. Do whatever it takes for you to understand God's word, for you to just be able to uh, fall in love with God's word and to read it. And the, the third thing that, I found very useful for me is I, I came to this realization that every single book that God has written in the Bible, there's 66 books, is that every single book had a, had a meaning uh, or a purpose behind it. And they all have different meanings, but there's like always this one specific theme or meaning that each book has. And it's important to figure it out. Like, well, God, why did, you, why did this author sit down with Paul or uh, Moses or whoever to write this down for me to read and for example I the book of Psalms after reading it many times I realized okay this is a prayer book this is literally for the sake of learning how to pray this is literally about finding the words uh, words to to speak to God to learn how to pray to God and when I first came to uh, Christ this was the first book that I completely fell in love with and the first book that I actually read because it taught me how to pray, and it, I didn't know how to pray beforehand, but it taught me how to speak to God, and what, like, what, I guess even what words to use, or how to describe what I'm going through, or how to, uh, how to understand every, everything that I was going through. And then if you look at the book of Romans, it's, it's, the whole book is about salvation, what it means that uh, the whole plan of salvation is just written out there, the book of Ecclesiastes, me and uh, I was just at a missionary trip and me and uh, me and a brother were discussing this book a lot. And the book of, book of Ecclesiastes is, it's all about a person who just has an existential crisis. This guy is so lost in his life and he's just like, like, what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? And this book, it causes you to ask these really important questions that uh, that most people in this world, they don't really ask. They just kind of go through their daily lives and they're just kind of, um, honestly, like sheep. But 
this book, it leads people to ask the questions that are important, that will actually lead a person to Christ, that will lead a person to salvation. And um, the, the fourth thing, there's, there's six things, so it doesn't go on forever. But the fourth thing that I, is kind of revealed to me uh, is that this was after I watched the Bible Project, a video, one of their videos, is that uh, the Bible, it doesn't, God, the Bible isn't like other books. It's not just a story that God, it's not a st- just written as a story, but it's written as where every detail is written out and it's just a story and a narrative and you follow it. The Bible kind of, uh, as, it, as it's written, it leaves out certain puzzles or certain gaps. And then as you read, continue reading, it fills those in and it helps you understand. For example, if you look at uh, God in the Bible, in the beginning it, it just explains God as, in Genesis 1, it explains God as Elohim. And that's not even, if you look into like the Hebrew or whatever, that's not even necessarily one God. It just means God or God's. And it doesn't really explain that. But then when you go to chapter 2, you realize, Genesis chapter 2, you realize, oh, okay, this is one God. It makes it clear that it's just the Lord, the God. There's only one God. And then later on, only, if you think about it, only in the New Testament is it really revealed that God is actually a trinity. That God is revealed in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the whole Bible, it's just, it slowly reveals itself. God doesn't just say, bam, this is all the rules uh, this is this is all my characteristics. This is who I am. He doesn't just write a list, but he ex- ex- explains himself over a long period of time. Another example of this is is the devil in when he tempted Adam and Eve. We looking back, we already know. Oh yeah, the devil tempted Adam and Eve, but actually, it never says the devil tempted Adam and Eve. It says a serpent. But only later in the New Testament, when you read it, do you look back and. God reveals it in the future, and he kind of makes sense of everything that's going on. So the Bible is, it's a book of meditation. The Bible is meant to be read over and over and over and over and over and over again. And when you, when you read it, only then, um, when you read it and meditate on it, then you can understand. If you just read the Bible once, cover to cover, I highly doubt you could really understand it because it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of years and sermons and discussing with your brothers and sisters to understand what, this, what God is trying to say through his word. Uh, even Jesus, when he was on earth, he didn't just say things straightforward. He always spoke in parables. He even, one time Jesus came up to a crowd of people and he says, you know, like, one man sowed seeds on, a, on some on good soil, some on thorns, some on rocks. And after he said this parable, he just walked off and he left. And he never even explained what his parable meant. Um, and people were completely confused. His disciples said, like, why are you speaking in parables? You could, you could tell him clearly. But God is the kind of uh, God who loves to, he, um, he loves to hold back secrets. And then people who really seek those secrets, he reveals it to them. But people who are just not interested or just, oh, I don't have time for it, oh, this is not that important, it's not that interesting, then those secrets are withheld from them and it's not given to them. And if you read what Jesus told his disciples, that's approximately exactly what he said he told to them. And the last, the last, uh, the last example of this, where we see that the Bible reveals itself slowly, is 
God's character. I was reading, uh, I was reading Genesis, and it was the sixth chapter. It was, I noticed that it was the first time where it talks about God's emotions. Before this, it talked about God creating. God did this. God said this. But it, was, it said his first emotion that God had. And said that God was grieved that he created man. Because, and, and the reason was because he was just about to destroy all of mankind besides Noah. And it really hit me that, well, first of all, it, it really hit me that, wow, God's, God's first emotion that he reveals to us is that he was broken, that humanity is sinful, and he was broken that he had to punish it. So in my mind, I'm like, God is not trying to punish the world. God is not happy to punish the world. God wants to save the world. And, and it also hit me that, no, like, wow, it's been six chapters, and God didn't even mention his emotions. He hasn't even mentioned, uh, like, how he feels or anything like that. And I realized that the Bible it reveals, it's, God reveals himself very slowly in the Bible, very subtly as well, through just stories, through plots. And we, if we want to know God, if we want to seek, uh, seek his face, we have to be very careful. We have to be very attentive to how God is speaking to us in the Bible. And the fifth thing that I wanted to mention is that when we read the Bible, we have to, a lot of times we may come across questions or things that sound strange or just weird, and they don't make sense to us. Um, and this happened to me a lot when I first began reading the Bible. A lot of things, where I would look at something God did, and I'm just like, okay, that doesn't seem right that you would do this. Um, or I would read something and say, okay, that doesn't seem logical. It doesn't make sense. But um, I would always just continue reading, continue praying about it. And over time, God would reveal to me how, how this, what he did is just or why what he did is correct, or how this actually does make sense. And it's important that when we read the Bible, the questions that arise in our mind, it's important that we answer them. And there's a lot of resources to answer our questions. A lot of people, they, uh, probably not in our Slavic churches, but in other churches, they, a lot of times they feel like people read the Bible and they don't understand certain things, and they lose their faith. And it's because they don't have the resources or they don't, uh, seek out the answers to answer those questions. And I came across even two instances like this even this year. Uh, not with people, but things in the Bible that kind of, I was confused. Because uh, one of the stories that I read was God told Moses, he said, speak to the rock to give water to the children of Israel. And so Moses, he goes, he climbs on the mountain, and he screams at the people, and then he he hits the rock with his staff, uh, and then water come, uh, is pour, uh, comes pouring down. And so, and then later on, God says, you can't enter the promised land because you did this. And I was so confused. I said, why, what did Mo Moses do wrong? And it took me a while to figure it out, but I looked it up on the internet, and I, I thought about it, and it re I realized, okay, God told him to speak to the rock. He didn't tell him to hit the rock. And then God he didn't tell God didn't tell Moses to scream at the people. He told them to speak to the rock. And that, like, that made sense to me. And I'm like, and, and I kind of realized, I'm like, wow, I, no, as I read the Bible, I'm com com coming across these questions. But at the same time, when I look more deep into it, uh, God answers them. And they, they make sense to me. And then another example, and then, and then because of this, God told them, you didn't honor me before the people. You're supposed to, because Moses was supposed to represent God as, not as somebody who is, 
uh, very, uh, I guess, explosive or very, uh, like, harsh. But he was supposed to re represent God as gentle. But he he hit the rock. He hit the rock with his staff. He wasn't supposed to do that. And another example like this I came across was Balaam. God, he, somebody asked Balaam to curse Israel, and Balaam asked God about this, and God said, "Okay, if they come to you this night or in the morning, then okay, go with them." And so. In the morning, Balaam gets up, and he packs the, his donkey. And so, and the people come, and they call him to curse Israel, and he goes with them. And then as he's going, an angel stands before him and, st tries, and tries to stop him, or actually does stop him. And then he, he, the angel reveals that God was against him, what he was doing. And again, I was just so confused, because I said, God, you told Balaam in the morning or in the night, that if people come in the morning, then you can go with them. But again, I, I looked into this, and what Balaam did wrong was, before the people even came to him, he already was packing his, the donkey to go to curse Israel. In other words, he wasn't even waiting for a word from God. He was already planning on going either way. And again, it kind of it, it made sense to me. Uh, it clicked with me. And I, I understood why why God was upset. And the last thing I want to I say, I want to mention about reading the Bible is that a lot of times I think we get this so wrong or I don't know, maybe we've been taught wrong. I don't know. But a lot of times we read the Bible because I think Bogdan mentioned it today, because we have to. We read the Bible because even, even, even Bible plans, uh, something about it just... I don't, I don't like them. Um, because it almost, if it works for you, like, I'm not against it. And I know people who reuse them and are very, like, they're very uh, spiritual and people that I look up to. And so, but a lot of times we make it, like, a compulsion, like, like, uh, like, I have to read the Bible. But we forget that God has given us the Holy Spirit, and uh, the Holy Spirit gives us the desire to read the Bible, the Holy Spirit will lead us if we listen. He will lead us to read the Bible. And he will not only lead us to read the Bible, he will tell us where to read the Bible, where, like what book to read in, what exactly to read in. And when I, when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, the first, I couldn't imagine myself not reading the Bible because it seemed like that's the very thing the Holy Spirit led me to do. And a lot of times people... People don't read the Bible, or it's difficult to read the Bible because they lack inspiration. They, they don't read the Bible because of inspiration from the Holy Spirit, but they read the Bible because of um, just their schedule or their um, routine. They make it a routine to read the Bible, but they don't, um, they don't allow the Holy Spirit to lead them to, into reading the Bible. And the, I guess you could, you could look at it both ways. You want to read the Bible because of routine, so you don't miss out on reading the Bible. But at the same time, you don't want to just read because of routine. Because when you actually get down to reading, you may be sleepy or you may be not interested. And so it's important to just read the Bible because you're, you're inspired by it. Because you want to. Uh, because God is leading you to reading the Bible. And this, this for me has been the easiest way to read the Bible. I, I personally don't, don't know any other way to read it. Um, it's really, it's really interesting when you just ask, like how I was talking about meditating on the Bible, that when you ask questions, and you want to know, and you want to ask, you ask questions about God, about the Bible, then it inspires you to 
read more and answer those questions and you continue to read and to continue answering uh, these questions and continue to ask questions about God and he leads, he leads us into all truth. Um, so glory be to God for that. Amen.